0: listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast. For a complete list of podcasts, visit our website at www.GardenCityChapel.com. Amen. Thanks, Bill. I invite you to open your Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, I don't know if you noticed the title of the message, but it's entitled The Problem of Grace. And you say, wait a minute, what's the problem of grace? I just want to say that that some of you may be like me if you grew up in a very legalistic church, or perhaps you still have some tinges of that. uh, We have a problem with grace. It's something that is hard to explain, it's hard to understand, and it's even harder to receive and live in. We still want to add stuff to the cross. In fact, today I I may offend somebody. I may make you a little nervous. And if I don't, I probably haven't explained grace well enough. Because grace really is amazing. There was a Nightline report on this past Friday night, and then it was reported again later in the newspaper uh, on Saturday. But there was a group of atheists that had a de-baptizing service. You ever heard of that? I've never heard of that. It was the first time I'd ever heard of a de-baptizing service. What they were doing was taking people who were professing to be atheists who had been previously baptized and they were trying to take away the baptism. So they used a hair dryer <laughs> to symbolically... Um, you think I'm making this up? I'm serious. Google it this afternoon. They used a hair dryer... And and like put it up to their head and blew hot air on their head, hopefully removing any any lasting effects of their baptism as a small child. In fact, uh, Edwin Kagan is their leading atheist, blasted his fellow nonbelievers with a hairdryer to symbolically dry up the holy water sprinkled on their heads in days past. The styling tool was emblazoned with a label reading, reason and truth. One person said, I was baptized Catholic. I don't remember any of it at all. According to my mother, I screamed like a banshee. So you can see that even as a young child, I didn't want to be baptized. It's not fair. I was born atheist, and they were forcing me to become a Catholic. It's interesting to know that Kagan, the leading atheist, own son, has become a fundamentalist Christian. In fact, a minister. (laughs) To which he says, "One, one wonders where we went wrong. It's amazing what some people will do with religion and how they get so out of bounds with things that they think are right. In fact, that's really the passage that we come to in Acts chapter 15. We've seen a lot of conflict outside the church up to this point in Acts, but not a lot within the church. What we're going to see today is really kind of the first internal strife and conflict within the church. And yeah, Satan has been hitting them with, Persecution from without. Uh, there have been people put to death. There have been people stoned. There were even Paul was stoned and left for dead. They thought he had died, but he didn't. But now the the, the, the attack becomes more within. Let me read from Acts chapter fifteen, verses one through eleven, our passage for today. So men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren. Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension and debate with them, the brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Therefore, being sent on their way by the church, they were passing through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles and were bringing great joy to all the brethren. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders came together to look into this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that By my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke, which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as also they are. First point is the controversy is introduced. The church has been doing well in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas have traveled outside of Antioch. We've seen that in previous weeks. They're back in Antioch. The church is flourishing there. Now some men from Judea. There's no indication they were appointed to come down. It appears they just kind of appointed themselves. They were upset. They didn't like the fact that these people were professing to be people of God, and yet they hadn't gone through the ritual that the people of God should have gone through. So they came down and said this, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. I want you to think about that for a minute. If you're one of these new believers who have who have finally found life in Christ and life has been breathed into your life, you've received the Holy Spirit, you understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and now somebody comes down that seems to have authority, seems to know what they're talking about, at least had all the religious trappings, and they said, no, 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 you're, you're really not saved. In fact, until you are circumcised, you're really not a follower of Jesus Christ. You're just at this point kind of a second-class Christian. In fact, until you've been circumcised, if you die, you're not going to heaven. Think of how discouraging that would be. Think of how confusing that would be. And especially, think about what a great debate that would stir up. Now, what's going on? These men have come down and said, we have been told in the Old Testament, circumcision was a sign of the covenant between God and man. They were, they were prescribed in the Old Testament. In fact, it was specifically, you were, you were to be circumcised, if you were a male, you were to be circumcised on the eighth day. In fact, it was so important that it was done on the eighth day, that even if the eighth day happened to be a Sabbath, you were still to be circumcised on the eighth day. Which was pretty incredible, considering that they didn't do anything on the Sabbath. But it was so important that the eighth day... now. In the Old Testament, it was a sign of a covenant. When Jesus came, He said, there's a new covenant. When He shared communion, that last supper with His disciples, He said, this blood is a sign. It's, it's the blood of a new covenant. And so what these people from Jerusalem were doing is they were trying to put new wine into old wineskins. In fact, worse than that, what they are really trying to do is they were trying to take the veil in the temple that had been torn from top to bottom that indicated there's nothing separating you from me. God is saying there's nothing separating man from God anymore. They're trying to stitch it back up and hang it back up and saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't access God by faith alone. You only access God through religious rites and ritual. And so you cannot be saved. What are they trying to do? They're trying to add something to Grace. They're trying to add something to the cross. Paul talks about this in Galatians. He also talks about it over in Philippians when he says, I tell you, even weeping, these people are enemies of the cross. As I prepared this message, I would dare say this is my tenth summer at the chapel. This is probably the most important message I've ever preached here and probably won't ever preach one more important than this. For you to get this, anything that you add to the cross... Anything that you try to heap on top of God's grace becomes an enemy of the cross. Let me give you some examples when I was growing up. I was told in church that you really couldn't be a Christian if you danced. Anybody remember those days? No dancing. Okay? I don't recommend you go out and, you know, dance in such a way that is not good. But, you know, that's not going to keep you out of heaven if you go to a square dance or something like that. I know that offends some people. My grandmother wouldn't let me in her house if I had a bottle of Coca-Cola. I'm serious. You could not play cards. Now, what am I saying? I'm not recommending that you all go get a Coke and play poker this afternoon. But I am saying this. You can't add those things to grace. In fact, it was interesting to me when I went to seminary in Texas, they still wouldn't play cards. This was back in the 80s. Texas and Oklahoma in the church, it was still kind of, you couldn't play cards, but you could play 52 which was dominoes, and you played, you played cards with dominoes. It was like they, they got so finite about what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable. You couldn't play cards if they were made out of paper, but you could play cards if it was made out of an elephant's tusks. You know? What do we do as people? We want to add stuff to what God has said it's enough. Look at me. The cross is God's demonstration of grace, and grace truly is I want you to hear a story, something I read this week. A young man asked his principal at school, What must I forsake now that I'm a believer? Well, you must forsake colored clothes, for one thing. Get rid of everything in your wardrobe that is not white. Stop sleeping on a soft pillow. Sell your musical instruments and don't eat any more white bread. You cannot, if you're sincere about obeying Christ, take warm baths or shave your beard. To shave is to lie against him who created us by attempting to improve on his work. Quaint, isn't it? This example of extra biblical struggles is from the second century, a Christian school in the second century. That was their rules. Now, I know some middle school guys that are thinking, I'm already there. I ain't taking a bath. But isn't it amazing what we've tried to add to God's grace? The Jews had taken the Ten Commandments and the commandments of the Old Testament and they asked Christ this question. What is the greatest commandment? You remember what Jesus said? Basically, I can sum them all up in really two things. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But they had added uh, 613 laws. 365 of them were negative commands, 248 of them was positive laws by the time that Christ had come. And they somehow thought, I'm going to get to God by keeping these laws. We're going to see later in the passage, it doesn't work. So you can imagine the controversy that happens in Paul and Barnabas, who, by the way, what was their background? What did Paul say about himself? He was a Pharisee among Pharisees, as to the law, perfect. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. That was before he came to Christ. And so they are seeing people come to Christ, and they're not mentioning circumcision. What are they saying? Put your faith in Jesus Christ who died on the cross for you, and you will be saved. And that's what they were doing. Well, these people don't like it. Come down from Jerusalem, great dissension arose. See, the Jews could not believe that somebody could be called part of God's family if they hadn't kept the law. And worse than that, Jews who had become Christians who were still keeping the law couldn't even eat with these new Gentile converts. Why? Because they were still considered unclean. And so in their mind, you've still got to get clean. It wasn't enough for Christ to die on the cross. It wasn't enough that grace has been applied to your life. You've still got to be cleansed. Listen, when Jesus cleansed you, that's all you need. So they had this great dissension, literally a controversy, a great debate, literally a dispute. And so they decided we're going to send Paul and Barnabas and some others up to Jerusalem. We're going to have a Jerusalem council and there would be several of these that we see in the New Testament. This is the first one. It occurred somewhere around A.D. 48 or 49. So about, you know, 48 or 49 A.D., about 14 years after Christ had become, or after Paul had become a Christian, they send them up to Jerusalem, and it's interesting that while they're on their way, they pass through Phoenicia, they pass through Samaria, and what are they doing? They're telling everybody about these Gentile converts, and not one single person says, ah, but were they circumcised? No, what does it say? People were rejoicing that people had come to Christ. Well, then we see the religious debate. They're received in Jerusalem by the church, and they report all that had had been done. And I'm sure there was even some rejoicing there. But a sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up. And again, before we overly judge these people, understand something. They're simply debating all they knew. And all they knew was what they understood from the Old Testament. At least they had gotten to the point where they recognized that Christ was the Messiah. Many of the Jews wouldn't agree with that, but these were people that had. And again... Paul was one of their number in the sense that he was a previous, he had been a Pharisee. And yet he would come to understand that circumcision was not necessary. And so they stood up and they debated. And I think it's interesting to see how they handled arguments in the first century church. Paul and Barnabas and Peter didn't just come in and say, all right, I don't want to hear what anybody's got to say. Here's the new law. No, they had a debate. They allowed people to express their opinion, and that was okay. But they said, basically, it's necessary to be circumcised. In other words, you can't be saved if you're not circumcised. Or maybe they were saying, all right, if you have become a Christian, then it's necessary at this point, here's a follow-up to that. They didn't get it all, so here's something they got to add to it. they got to be circumcised. And not only that, they've got to obey. In fact, they said, you direct them. So these are the religious people; these are the Pharisees that believe. Are telling Paul and Barnabas and Peter, "Hey, y'all need to go back and tell these people that they need to be circumcised and they need to learn the law from the Old Testament because they're going to have to observe that." And so they came together to discuss the matter. In fact, it's important to know. It's important to know that there was a new sign of a covenant. Circumcision was a sign of the Old Covenant. Jesus says, I'm bringing a new sign of a new covenant. And the last thing, this is the most important, the resolution. Here's what happens. After much debate, wasn't decided by some sudden decree, but after much debate, Peter stood up. Interesting that it was Peter. Because I think Peter had already struggled with this issue himself. If you remember earlier in Acts, he had already had this vision of unclean animals. And a voice told him, Eat. And he said, whoa, I can't eat. That's unclean. And God said, what I've declared clean, no longer considered to be common or unclean. And, and it, that vision happened about three times. And so Peter learned, okay, it's okay then for Cornelius, this Gentile. And Gentile simply means race. It literally means pagan. It means anybody who wasn't a Jew was considered kind of lumped into this category. So anybody other than them, Peter finally realized, okay, It's okay for them to come to Christ and not have to follow all these other traditional laws. It's also interesting to know this is the last time that Peter will be mentioned in the book of Acts. By the time we get to Acts 15, we've seen a lot about Peter up to this point. From here on, he's not mentioned in the book of Acts. And yet I believe Peter was looked at, revered to be, kind of an elderly statesman among the apostles. And so what he had to say carried weight And he said several things. He said, first of all, listen, we all know that in the early days, God made a choice. God has chosen that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear and believe. No mention of circumcision. In other words, they would hear the good news of the gospel. And by hearing the gospel, they would believe their lives would be changed. They would be made clean by faith in Jesus Christ. So the first kind of argument that Peter gives them is, folks, this has been settled by God a long time ago. You're debating something that God's not debating anymore. They believed the good message. And he said, God knows their heart. This is a compound word that means a heart knower. Aren't we glad that God knows our heart? See, we judge people a lot of times by external stuff. By either what they look like, the clothes they wear, behavior. God judges the heart because He knows the heart. And so Peter says, listen, God knows the heart. He knows their heart has been converted. He's given them the Holy Spirit just like He has to us. Now, again, that had to set these Pharisees back a little bit to say, no, wait a minute, that can't happen that way. And then he says this, He has made no distinction. Circumcision is no longer a prerequisite for salvation. When I was in college, you had to take courses that were prerequisites. You couldn't take this course without taking this course. And it was interesting. For my degree, I had to have this course. Never mentioned this one. But I couldn't take this one until I had this one. You see how confusing that could be. They were trying to load up through a catalog some prerequisites. And Peter's saying, circumcision is not a prerequisite for salvation. He's cleansed. He's cleansed their heart. Through faith. And then he asks this question Why are you putting God to the test? Why provoke God? Why scrutinize or entice God on something that He has already said is a dead issue? The message translation puts it this way Why are you trying to out God God? What's God said about the matter? It's settled. There's a new covenant. Doesn't involve The old covenant. And yes, that was from God, but it was a precursor to point to the need for a Savior. He's made no distinctions. He's cleansed cleansed their heart by faith. And so why are you putting them to the test? And then more than that, why are you putting a yoke on their neck that we have never been able to bear and they can't possibly bear? What's he talking about? He said, why are you bringing these 613 laws and placing them on the neck? And whether it's the front of the neck because it's choking them or the back of the neck that it's just weighing them down. Here's what Peter said. It never worked for us. Now, was there Old Testament law? Yes. What was the purpose of the Old Testament law? The purpose was to point to their need for a Savior. Nobody was going to face God and say, I kept the law perfectly. They had provision for what you did once a year because you hadn't kept the law. It's called Yom Kippur. the Day of Atonement. On the Day of Atonement in the Old Testament, that was a system of dealing with sin. And so as soon as that was taken care of, you could kind of walk around for a little while thinking, all right, I'm clean, finally." But you had to do it the next year. And you had to do it the next year. And yet when Jesus Christ came, he died on the cross. With arms stretched out. You remember what he said? It is finished. What? The sacrifice has finally once and for all been paid. It's finished. No need for that day of atonement anymore. If you trusted Christ as your Savior, you've had the day of atonement. And it forgave you for all sins. He says, why are you putting a yoke on them that they couldn't possibly bear. In fact, we've never been able to bear it. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 11. Jot this down in your notes. Know, Matthew 11:28 through 30. He says this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What did a yoke do? A yoke joined two animals together. That's what a yoke was for. In the Old Testament, they were yoked to the law. And if animals were mismatched, if you had two animals that were fighting against each other, the load didn't go very far. Well, that's what happened throughout the whole Old Testament. The Pharisees, the Jews had been yoked to something they couldn't carry. So what does Jesus say? Hey, come yoke to me. Take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. And then here's the last thing. Peter says, here's what we finally believe. Ultimately, verse 11, bottom line, here's what we've come to believe. You're saved through grace. In fact, he's saying they are saved. In fact, he says we're saved in the same way as they are. Isn't that interesting? Instead of Peter saying, we believe that they've become saved just like we are not. He's saying we're saved the same way they are. We weren't saved through the law. We're saved by grace. Just like they are. In fact, really, they're saved by grace. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this. It says, for by grace you're saved through faith. Not a result of works, lest any man could boast. What does that mean? It means, look, if I could come to God and say, look what I've done, then I could kind of stick my chest out and say, I earned this. Grace is not something you earn. I heard somebody say this one time. I don't deserve grace. (laughs) I was playing golf with them. I think they made about a 12. And I said, well, I'm just going to give you like a triple bogey, man. That's as much as you can take. They say, no, I don't deserve that. I said, that's right. It's called grace. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. What do we deserve? We deserve hell. We deserve to be separated from God for eternity, so whatever God gives us beyond that is better than that is a total gift. See, we don't even get gifts, do we? We don't get the concept of gift. When you give something to somebody because they've given something to you, that's a payment. Anytime that you truly give something expecting nothing in return, that's really a gift. Had a guy call me one time on the telephone, he said, I want to send you a gift said, great. He said, what's your address? I gave you my address. He said, now, I need your credit card number. It's like, whoa, time out. What do you name a credit card? Well, there's shipping and handling fees of 19 I was like, then you're not sending me a gift. I'm paying for something I didn't want to begin with. And I think that's the biggest problem we have with understanding grace. Is we, is we feel like we've got to earn it somehow. Until you understand that you come to God empty-handed... And it's His gift. Then we're still trying to add stuff to a gift. Let me close by showing you a picture. You ever seen those wheels that rats run on? (laughs) Here's how you know if you're on the rat wheel of the Christian life. If you approach the Christian life and you just feel like, I'm tired. I'm just worn out. Why are you worn out? Because you're not accepting grace. You're trying to do something. Now, does God have something for you to do? Yes. Please get this. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. So yes, God does have something for us to do. Where we get it out of balance is that we somehow think that the work is the fruit that brings us salvation. It's not. It's not the root, it's the fruit. It's not the root of of eternal life. It's simply the fruit of something that's already taken place in your life. So if you're trying to get on the rat race to please God, then understand something. God's already pleased with you. Now, He does have something for you to do, but do it not to earn His favor, do it because you have His favor. Are you tired? Do you feel discouraged? If you you get to that place where you're tired, you're discouraged, come back to grace. Come back to God and say, God, I'm tired and discouraged. Help me. Somehow I've left and lost the sense of grace that I was walking in, and I've started doing this stuff in my own power. And maybe the most telling sign that you're on the rat wheel is that you worry more about behavior than you do about knowing God. And maybe the more subtle difference is you worry about everybody else's behavior more than you do about whether they know God or not. When I, when I was a youth pastor, I used to get phone calls from some of the church people. It usually happened after Wednesday night. You're not going to believe what the teenagers were doing. I was like, you're probably right. What were they doing? And it was amazing. Some of the things they were accusing them of doing, I would kind of think, I wonder where they got that from. They've been watching their parents. But these people were more concerned about modifying somebody's behavior. Just if they would just behave on Wednesday night at church, didn't care about their salvation, didn't care about their soul, where they were going to spend eternity. Just act right at church. Now, do I want you to act right at church? Yes. But I'm more concerned that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Why? Because if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he'll take care of the behavior. If all you do is modify your behavior for a little while, you're going to get tired and discouraged and throw your hands up finally and say, I need to be de-baptized. <laughs> Worse thing than that, I actually had a teenager to come to my office one day and say, I need to be dismembered. <laughs> he had joined our church, went home and told his parents, and they said, you can't do that, we're members over here. So he came back in, that was the only word he knew for it, is it. Is it? Mr. Shaw, I need to be dismembered. It's like, all right, come on. (laughs) Let me dismember you. (laughs) Folks, listen, God will take care of your behavior. Come to Christ in faith. Receive His grace. And let God begin a work in you that He has promised to complete. He'll take care of your behavior. You come to Him just like you are. Throw yourself upon His mercy and His grace. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, I confess we still struggle. Not sure that we totally get it. God, the next time that we try to add something to grace, remind us that Your grace is enough. And God, maybe more important, the next time we try to add something to somebody else, The next time we try to play Holy Spirit or try to out-God God, remind us that we're not God. We're not the Holy Spirit. And God, if there's someone here today that maybe is sick and tired of being sick and tired, and they've done all the religious stuff and feel empty, it may be because they never had a relationship with Jesus Christ. So, God, my prayer is today that you would draw those people to yourself. Thank you. Thank you that on the cross it was settled and it was finished. Your grace is enough. In Christ's name.